Now, guys, uh, Jeremiah 25. If you've been coming around here very long, you know that we work through books. We, we teach through a book. Uh, you know, there's maybe some disadvantages, maybe, but one of the advantages of teaching through a book is that you, um, you, are, you can't give in to your desire to avoid the tough stuff. Uh, because you're going to go through the book, and there it is, and you know. Uh, the text that I'm about to read you is a text that I bet, <laughs> if you've read it at all, um, it's not one that you return to. It's a pretty tough one. So follow as I read, beginning at verse 15 in Jeremiah 25. And uh, this portion of God's Word, it reads, it reads like this. <clears throat> Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it. Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, its kings and officials, to make them a desolation and a waste, a hissing and a curse, as at this day. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, his servants, his officials, all his people, and all the mixed tribes among them, all the kings of the land of Uz, and all the kings of the land of the Philistines, Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and the remnant of Ashdod, Edom, Moab, and the sons of Ammon, all the kings of Tyre, all the kings of Sidon, and the kings of the coastland across the sea, Dedan, Tima, Buzz, and all who cut the corners of their hair, all the kings of Arabia, and all the kings of the mixed tribes who dwell in the desert, all the kings of Zimri, all the kings of Elam, and the kings of Media, all the kings of the north, far and near, one after another, and all the kingdoms of the world that are on the face of the earth, and after them, the king of Babylon shall drink. Then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, drink, be drunk and vomit, fall and rise no more because of the sword that I am sending among you. And if they refuse to accept the cup from your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, you must drink. For behold, I begin to work disaster at the city that is called by my name. And shall you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished. For I am summoning a sword against all the inhabitants of the earth, declares the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Now, you knew that this was in the Bible, didn't you? Perhaps you didn't know where it was in the Bible. But, but you knew it was in there. But most of us go out of our way to avoid a subject like this. And certainly the culture helps us in, in our efforts to avoid it. 
this cup that is, um, that is mentioned in verse 15. It's a very famous cup. Uh, you know a little bit about it. It's uh, mentioned several places in the Scriptures. Uh, Isaiah discusses it. Ezekiel discusses it. <clears throat> Obviously, Jeremiah mentions it. And in each of those places, um, it refers to the same thing. Wrath. Which is the subject that we would rather avoid. This cup, it shows up one other place. Uh, it's in the New Testament, and you know about it. You've heard of it before, I'm sure. It shows up in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it means the same thing there that it meant in these other three Old Testament prophets. Wrath. The verses that mention this cup are very clear what is being symbolized by this cup. There was, however, one feature of this whole subject of, the, um, of this cup. Uh, one of the features, and it's found in the, uh, the Old Testament, it was uh, something that, was, that Isaiah said that confused just about everybody. Um, I'm going to read it in just a second. It's in chapter 51 of Isaiah. But before I do, let me just take off on a, just a brief aside, which I hope will help. Guys, um, oftentimes the prophets in the Old Testament said things that they themselves didn't even understand what they were saying. Um, here's an example, a rather crude one, but it's an example. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 44 and, verse four, and chapter 45, Isaiah mentions a man's name. His name is Cyrus. Goes on to mention what Cyrus is going to do. Who was Cyrus? Well, Cyrus turned out to be a Persian king. However, this is something you might not know. When Isaiah mentions Cyrus, he does so 125 to 150 years before Cyrus was even born. <clears throat> the point is, Isaiah didn't have any idea who Cyrus was when he mentioned his name in Isaiah 54, 44 and 45. Um, Josephus, who is a name that many of you will recognize, Josephus was a, a very esteemed Old Testament prophet, uh, Old Testament or Jewish historian. And Josephus tells the story about when Cyrus first heard of this prophecy of, is, uh, of Isaiah 150 years earlier, that it, when it was read to him what Isaiah had said, that Cyrus was so impacted that he determined that he was going to fulfill it, which he did. Now, gang, all I'm saying at this point is that the prophets said things. You know, there's this statement in 1 Peter 1, verse 12, that talked about 
how um, uh, these things were written not for you, their benefit, but for yours. And the angels peer at these things wondering what they mean. Well, Isaiah chapter 51, verse 22 is another example. L- let, me, let me explain. Let me read it to you first. Verse 22. Thus says your Lord, the Lord your God, who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath. You shall drink no more. Now, gang, that's Isaiah 51, 22. That statement is found in a context um, where Isaiah is just going off on the cup of God's wrath. Let me look at it. Chapter 51, verse 17. Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, you who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. These two things have happened to you, verse 19. Who will console you? Devastation and destruction, famine and sword. Who will comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of every street like an antelope in a net. They are full of the wrath of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. So Isaiah is writing about this cup. And talking about what it has done, what is performed in Jerusalem, the whole place is a desolation and a destruction, and, the, and your sons are caught in nets lying at the head of every street. And then suddenly, without any warning, without any explanation, as he's describing all of this wrath and what it's accomplishing, he says this. Thus says your Lord, the Lord your God who pleads the cause of his people, behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath, you shall drink no more. One minute, he's talking about, this is what the bowl of wrath is going to look like in Jerusalem. The next minute, He says, that bowl's going to be taken away from you. Right right in the middle of their drunken stupor, he says, that bowl's going to be taken out of your hand. God snatches the cup of wrath right out of the hands of his people, removing the cup from their lips. And so there's Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the rest of the Old Testament prophets and What does that mean? I mean, um, how is it that God is going to take this bitter cup that he had once given us? They, they long to see how a just and a holy God is, is going to forgive his people from all of their sins. How? How will God pull this off the answer there's another cup better said it's the same cup it's just in a different set of hands and the hands are found in the new testament um the, the cup 
that is mentioned several times in the Old Testament, that cup is found in the hands of Christ. Do you remember? You do, I'm sure. Remember in Gethsemane where Jesus prays, my God, take this cup from me. Folks, it's in the gospel that the cup of God's wrath ends up in the hands of Christ. And at the, at, 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 when you first see him in the Garden of Gethsemane with that cup in his hands, you remember what he does. He shrinks back at it. It, 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 it almost appears that he's afraid to drink it. And, and, and little wonder, ladies and gentlemen, um, if, if, if you knew what was in that cup, you would shrink from it as well. There's this, this darkness that comes over Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane such that he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. What did that? What produced in the Savior a moment where he says, my soul is overwhelmed? Here's that cup. Jesus was overwhelmed because he knew what was in that cup. He knew the Old Testament prophecies. He knew what Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all of them had said about it. He knew how bitter would be the contents of that cup. He knew it to be the cup from which, from which men stagger and fall face down in their own vomit. Oh, Dr. Young, don't use that word. That's such an ugly word. And, and, and Dr. Young, you're just using that so that you can be dramatic. Well, maybe I am. But ladies and gentlemen, it's in this text. It is God, in verse 27, it is the God, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, who says, drink, be drunk, and vomit, fall, and rise no more. Jesus knew it to be the cup from which men fall and do not rise. He knew it to be the cup of eternal death. And what's more, he knew that it was he who would have to drink it. He knew it contained all of the combined sins of his people. And the wrath that those sins deserved. And his soul recoils.
And he says, Father, I mean, is, is there another way? I mean, can we save them without me having to drink this cup? Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. And his father says, no. No, it's not possible. And one of the things that has always struck me about that, that, this scene is that only a few steps away, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples sleep. Like many of us, we're often asleep in the garden, dozing through this Christian life and ambivalent about our sin. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, were we to watch and pray as he told us to? Were we to kneel with him in the grass in the Garden of Gethsemane? Were we to see the agony? Were we to see the blood on his brow? then maybe we would really see for the first time the fearfulness of the wrath of God over sin. And then we might know something more about the exceeding sinfulness of our own. Jesus takes the cup. He takes it into his hands and he, at first, shrinks back from it. And then a few moments later, in an act of willing, active, courageous obedience to his Father, he drinks it. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want proof of the sinfulness of sin, then go to Matthew 26 and watch the Savior shrink from the heart of it all. If you want proof about the reality of divine judgment. It's right there for you in Matthew 26. And if the Son of God Himself hesitated to drink that cup, are you so foolish as to think that you could drink it on your own? Are you so cavalier about your sin that this cup that Jeremiah speaks of, this cup from which Jesus shrank, that that cup fails to move you? 
The text says, you don't want to drink it? Oh, it must be drunk, all right. Oh, you'll drink it. And if Jesus Christ is to save his people, then God's wrath must be removed. God's anger must be propitiated because His holiness cannot tolerate sin in His presence. Then I will drink it, says the Savior. The Savior is sent because the cup must be drunk. He came to drink the cup of the wrath of God that our sin deserved. Ladies and gentlemen, that's called substitutionary atonement. When Jesus Christ drank that cup, that meant that the cup of God's wrath was no longer in the hands of the sinner. The cup was now in the hands of the sinless one, the righteous in the place of the unrighteous. But I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that the cup didn't stay in his hands very long because Jesus drained it down to the last drop. And when that last drop had been drunk, he cries out, It is finished. The debt has been fully paid. When the cup of God's wrath was placed in the hands of Jesus Christ, it quickly became an empty cup. And that, Isaiah, is how he did it. That, Jeremiah, is how God did it. That, Ezekiel, is how God did it. That is how he could say, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath. You shall drink no more. Because the Savior that I sent on your behalf has drunk it for you. Guys, if, if you are aware, keenly aware, that your sin separates you from God, and indeed it does deserve His wrath, then hear me. Give the cup to Christ. 
trust Christ to drink the cup of God's wrath for you in your place. Then there is no more of that bitter wine left for you to drink. And it is on the basis of the work of Christ in your on your behalf that God can say through Isaiah the bowl of my wrath you will drink no more <laughs> my friends the thing that is missing in so many people today is that they have never seen their sin. And because they have never seen their sin, they have never seen the consequences due to that sin. They live on under the delusion that basically, I'm a good person. You are not. There are none good. No, not one. None of us. None of us, ladies and gentlemen. Have you seen your sin? Have you seen the consequences due your sin? My friends, men do not flee to Christ until they feel the weight of their sin. Take away this threatened wrath. Take away this cup. And men will continue to play on and trifle with their sin. Living under the delusion. That they are good people. You know, just personally speaking, ladies and gentlemen, I had religiousness down pat. I was raised in a church for the first 22 years of my life. I had that religious gig. I had it down. But I never drew near to God. until I had seen and smelled this cup. Folks, men do not cry out, God save me! Until they are forced to add, or I perish. Nobody says the first until they understand the second. As if to say, I will perish if you don't save me.
And ladies and gentlemen, the good news of the gospel lies in this truth. Jesus Christ drank the cup. It doesn't say that Jesus Christ drank from the cup so that there was a little bit left for you to drink in purgatory. No, no. He drank it all. He didn't drink most of the cup. So requiring you to dispense with the rest by your own human merit. No, no, ladies and gentlemen. He drank it all. The gospel is not, he drank a whole lot of it so that you will only have to drink a little bit of it. No, no. The gospel is, he drank it all. So that now, God can say, Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath. You shall drink no more. Why? Because Jesus Christ has drunk it for us. Ladies and gentlemen, the gospel is not good advice telling you how to leave this room and go live so that you can earn his merit. The gospel is good news. And here's the news. The cup of God's wrath has been drunk. Our Father, would you remind your people that at night when we're still stewing and stirring over whether or not we've done enough, would you remind us that there's not a soul in this room that has done enough and to bank on doing enough is pure delusion. And what we need to rest on is not our performance, but on Christ's perfect performance on our behalf. Would you show us the great beauty of the gospel that grace tells us that sin, there's never been so much of it that Christ's work could not cover it. Grace is greater than all our sin. Remind us. Remind us of that now as we gaze upon the beauty of what Christ accomplished on our behalf. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.